Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm sitting here with a super special guest. We have Chris Gronkowski. He went from the NFL to Shark Tank, CEO of Ice Shaker, and he's the middle of the Gronkowski brothers. How are we doing, Chris? I'm good, man. Just finished getting whooped in this workout, man, over at uh, Adaptive Training Foundation. So a real yeah. cool organization where, um, man, they train, they train amputees. You know, some of our, our military vets that were wounded, um, you know, out in the field, they now lost limbs, arms, legs, and um, – you know, they, they bring me out there and they challenge me, man. It's amazing to see. It's an amazing group atmosphere. And um, I love being there, man. So I definitely uh, try to get there as much as I can. But with COVID, it's kind of kind of been tough. And we've lost a couple of classes. But, man, I, I feel great every time I go there. And really gives you this perspective in life as well. Absolutely. And that's why Chris is an awesome guest for this podcast. Because we go holistic. I want to hear about family, relationships, business, every aspect of life. And I love that you're giving back and working with these people. And what's it called again, just so everyone knows? So it's called um, the Adaptive Training Foundation. It's here. I'm in the Dallas area. It's in the Dallas area. And, um, and they've trained guys from around the country. They fly them in. It's all, uh, it's all charity, man. So uh, it's all funded by charity and foundations. And these guys are all coming here free. Uh, they have classes. And it really, man, you know, once, you, once you get wounded, man, uh, you know, the suicide rates are through the roof. You kind of, you're on your own, you, you leave the military and uh, it's just a bad situation and they bring them in and, and you become a team again and you leave and you graduate with, you know, 10, 15 other guys that are in similar situations and girls uh, and, and you, oh, you feel like a team again. So I love going there, man. It, it really puts my life in perspective uh, because I go there and, and these people that were going through unfortunate situations, I mean, they're, they're fucking pumped, man. Like they're going, you know, they're, they're ready to go and they're pushing me and I'm sitting there like, man, I, I, I was going to, you know, kind of take this set off a little bit <laughs> and now, you know, they're pushing me to the limit. I'm about to throw up and it's amazing, man. So I, every time I go there, I'm re-energized and um, definitely check it out. Definitely check it out. Adaptive Training Foundation. Adaptive Training Foundation in Dallas, Texas. This is, if you're in the Dallas area, you got to check it out. So let's kick it off, Chris. What was it like to grow up in your house? Like, where did it all start? And uh, to give everyone a little background, every single one of Chris's brothers, he's got four other brothers, you said, right? Yep. Everyone went to a professional sporting in some capacity. So what was that like for you? Man, uh, <laughs> it was crazy, man. It's called mayhem is what I called it. Uh, we had a couch. This is kind of, this is the only way to describe it. We had a couch and um, 
a rocking chair in our family room. And that was it because everything else became a weapon. You know, we had a <laughs> table at one point, but the coffee table, you know, we slammed each other through it and it was broken. Um, my parents had to buy the couches where like the pillows, you could pull them off because if it was attached to it, they'd be ripped off within like the first week and they'd have to buy a new couch. So uh, we had no pictures on the wall. Like that, that wasn't even a thing because there's so many balls and so much stuff being thrown throughout the house that they just didn't last. So my mom was just, you know, you walk in the house, there was no decorations. It was just like this bare, like plain house, nothing in it. And you know, that's, how, that's how it was, man. Cause we were crazy. And every day was an all out battle and everything we did ended in a brawl every day. And, um, so everything was competition from backyard baseball. We played mini six in the base. We just made up games. And, um, you know, it even came down to eating. Like, you know, who could eat more, who could eat faster? Uh, you had to eat all your food every single time. Like, you weren't allowed to leave scraps on your plate. Like, that was unheard of at our house. Uh, so that's that's how it was, man. It was, it was mayhem uh, for sure. And my parents did an amazing job, man. It was really, for my mom, a full-time job. You know, we all played multiple sports. And I still don't know how she did it because it's not even physically possible to drive each and every one of us to practice because there's so many different practices going. So she literally had to coordinate with other moms, other dads in the neighborhood on our team to get us all the practice, get us all back. And she had to do all this uh, without a cell phone as well, man. So I still sit here like, how did you do it, mom? Like, that is like, that's amazing. And at the whole time, she also made every single meal for us. We never ate out. Uh, you know, she, she packed our lunches and, and everything, man. So, um, I have three kids now and I just sit here like, wow, that, that's quite an accomplishment. And, um, you know, you look at like businesses and all that and multitasking and all that stuff. She was like the ultimate uh, just multitasker and almost running like her own little mini business of raising kids. So the secret formula is Mama Gronkowski. It's your mom. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think they did a, both my parents just a, a really good job. They're a really good team. And, um, you know, they did it the right way. They, they taught us some really good lessons early on um, about hard work, uh, never gave us anything unless we earned it. And my, my parents always made sure we did our work before we were allowed to play as well. So everyone looks at us as this big sports family. Um, you know, you probably think, you know, it, it was all about sports and no school, but really it was the exact opposite. We weren't allowed to go to sports or do practice or do anything like that, even go outside until we got our schoolwork done. And that was something that wasn't even negotiable. So when we came home, it was get your work done. There's no, like, I didn't even have another option. So it never even crossed my mind. It would just be, right, I'm going to come home, do my work, then I could go play. So uh, I think they did a really good job of just instilling these values in us really early on. And, um, you know, once you learn those and they're ingrained in you, you know, you don't know any different. So you just do it and you work hard and you get it done. Yeah. And that's so prevalent to us nowadays. There's so many people that want to avoid the tough stuff. And you're like, no, the tough stuff is what we did first. We did that first and then we enjoyed ourselves. And it's just really important that everyone realizes that, that they just attack it, get each, get after each day and then enjoy the night, like do whatever you want to do, but like do your work and do your part definitely to get there. So when you're at Arizona with Rob and you guys are going to graduate, you're going to look at the NFL. How was that? How was that experience? Man? Yeah. So, um, for me, I didn't really think it was going to be an experience. <laughs> so uh, I went to college thinking I had no chance of going to the next level. You know, I came out as a, a two-star recruit. I, I had one offer to the University of Buffalo that I didn't take because I wanted to leave town. And they didn't even have an indoor field at the time. And, uh, you know, they, were, they just went to D1. And 
uh, it was just a situation where it just really wasn't ever going to be successful. So I, I was going to Ivy League. I was going to University of Penn, got into the Wharton Business School. And um, the last second, uh, I got an offer from the University of Maryland. Uh, it really came because they were about to go on academic probation and I had really good grades. So they were like, all right, we'll give you a scholarship. Uh, hopefully you can make it on the field at some point, but you better get a 4.0 and boost our GPA up so that we don't go on academic probation. So uh, that's kind of out of scholarship. So for me, my road uh, to the NFL was something I never thought would happen. Uh, so I went to school and really my my goal there was to get the best degree I can and, and have the most fun that I could have as well. So uh, I was definitely partying like Thursdays before games. And um, I was also in, in the business school. I was one of two football players that were, that were in the business school. And um, I got an accounting degree because I thought it would be the hardest thing I could possibly get and figured I could at least be a CPA when I left and make some good money um, after football. So when the draft came about, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if I even had a shot at it, but once I found out that I did, uh, you know, I went all in, man. Um, I knew I probably wouldn't be drafted, but I knew I had this opportunity to sign as an undrafted free agent. And, you know, at that point it was kind of this short leash and I'd have one shot. And I guess when it comes down to, um, you know, having your younger brother get drafted and your two older brothers get drafted and you're the only one that hasn't, uh, man, it's like the ultimate motivation. Like if you want like no other options but to succeed, that was kind of the, the mentality that I, and the situation that I was in. I couldn't fail because I would have heard about it the rest of my life. You know, why were you the one brother who didn't make it? You know, what happened to you? Uh, and so when you get in a situation like that, man, like there's no other option. You know, my whole mindset, everything I did was to be the best player that I could possibly be at that point. And like I, I look back and like I'm, I was scared of myself, man. Like I would be scared. <laughs> fight myself back then because I was just a whole different person, a whole different mindset at that at that moment, man. So it was, it was so crazy. I, can you give us a quick timeline of where that was? Like when you realized I could be in the NFL, like what was that timeline when you're like, I am turning it on and I'm going full speed ahead and we're going to see, like, did you give yourself six months to see if you make it or how'd that work? Yeah. So, I mean, my junior year was my first year I started. Um, as a, as a fullback. So really the first year I started in college uh, at that point, kind of halfway through the year, uh, my coaches were telling me that scouts were looking, but I, I thought they were just bullshitting with me, man. So I didn't really take it that serious um, into my senior year, kind of, kind of the same way, like the same approach. Like I, you know, they would talk about it, but I never really thought it would ever happen for me. Um, really the moment came when, um, you know, I went and signed as an undrafted free agent and um, had a couple teams call, multiple teams call, and, and, you know, were trying to sign me. And within a minute after the draft ended, I signed with the Cowboys. But that was kind of when I was like, hey, man, like there is an opportunity here. There is a shot. And if I want it, it it's there for me to try to get it. So uh, that, that was it. Um, from that moment, you know, you have, uh, you know, really it's about six months over the summer to really go all out and, become the best player that you can be going into training camp. So before, like, what was the mind step shift? Like, were you, you I'm guessing you still were drinking or you still weren't drinking or like, uh, no, nah, man. Uh, I guess it was really after, um, after the season ended. So I, I did, we went down to Florida to train uh, for three months before like pro day. And, and, and yeah. And so that's really when it was, um, you know, once we got there, it was, you know, it was straight lockdown for three months. I mean, we didn't go out. It was, you know, every single meal that we ate was prepared for us. And uh, it was a very strict diet. And every single day we woke up and we trained to rehab. Um, you know, I was coming off an injury, so it, it was pretty tough. Rob was coming off an injury as well. 
um, you know, back surgery. He couldn't run until a couple of weeks before uh, pro day, man. So he was struggling big time. And, um, you know, that, that was really when I got serious. And then, you know, leading up to that, that was pro day, had a really good pro day. And then, um, you know, then let, that led up to the draft. So I guess it was almost, almost like a year that, that led up to it. Of just immersion of like, we are going and we are doing this and we're going to see if this can work. Absolutely. So just, just all out, everything I did at that point was hundred percent focused on being the best player that I could be. Yeah. I love that. And you come in undrafted to the Cowboys. How, how was that like coming in first day? Is there like imposter syndrome? Like I'm here right now or I'm not good enough or what, what was that thought? Yeah, for sure, man. I watched the first practice and I was like, damn, man, these guys can play, man. It was just so fast. Uh, you know, you, you sat there and the calls were just coming in so fast and everyone was on pace and you know, it's, it's a job at that point. So, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you're gone. So everyone, every single play is going all out. We're in college, man. You take off, you know, uh, every couple plays or if you're on the backside, man, you don't block anyone. You got to just chill or if you're on special teams, you know, half the time you don't even try. So, uh, once you got there, it was completely different. If you took a playoff, you were going home. You know, it, this is a job now. You're getting paid to be there. So, uh, yeah, when I first got there, I was like, damn, man, uh, these guys are good. They're really good. And uh, I see why they're here now. So, um, and I, di- I didn't even think it was something where I had a shot to make the team. I thought it was something where I was playing for, uh, you know, a practice squad position. And then hopefully I'd get better over the next couple of years and have a shot to make a team. And what was your your mindset slash where were you like what allowed you to keep going and uh, like what was it that really you're just like I got to come here every day and just give it my all and this is the only opportunity I have like what allowed you to keep going because obviously it's intensifying when you get to the NFL this is a no joke place yeah man uh I had a I had a roommate um he's actually my roommate at Maryland before I transferred to Arizona and uh he ended up coming to Dallas as well as an undrafted free agent. So he's a center. His name was Phil Costa. And um, when we got there, man, it was kind of this thing where, you know, we made this pack like, hey, you know, no one's made this team in 10 years undrafted free agent, but we're both making this team, man. So that was that was like day one, man. We we, we slept together uh, or not together, but <laughs> in the same, the same room, which was like literally uh, extended stay hotel. And like our beds were like two feet apart, man. Uh, you think you think when people get to the NFL, like they're living like this glorious life, right? They put all the rookies in like this garbage uh, extended stay hotel. It's like thirty like, bucks a night or something. Are we like talking that. anyone? Like any rookie? Every rookie's in there. Every yeah, man. They were all we were in there. Um, I, I mean, Dez wasn't there, but like Sean Lee, who was a second round pick, was was in there with us too. And at that point, like you couldn't go and and pay for you know uh, an actual like apartment and stuff and. I, I'm pretty sure Sean was only with us for a little bit. And then, you know, he's going to go get something because he knows he's going to make the team. Whereas like, you know, Phil and I had no clue. So we're not going to go rent a place for a year uh, yeah. and then be stuck with it and, you know, not make a team. So um, yeah, all the guys that didn't know or, or late round picks were all in this extended stay hotel for the entire summer together, man. So uh, Phil, you know, and you split rooms too. Like they only paid for one room and they gave you a roommate. So uh, this little tiny room, little tiny kitchen, and man, all day, every day, it was just about being the best that we could be studying the playbook. We were taking snaps in the hallway. Uh, his dad like sent a helmet down for, um, you know, one of his friends because he wanted his son to sign it for him. And, uh, you know, we're just putting the helmet on and we're taking snaps in the hallway. Like it was, it was crazy, man. But that's, you know, everything we did was to become the best player that we could. And it, I mean, it sucked, man. It, it wasn't definitely was not glorious, but that was by far the strongest and best shape I've ever been in 
in my life was was that summer training with Phil and training with the Cowboys. Yeah, I absolutely love the fact that you and Phil were like, this hasn't been done in 10 years, but we're going after it and we're going to do it. Commitment, because it's like, this, this is the only way, because no one else, but like people believe in us, but we have to believe in each other and we have to do it for, for what we have. And what, I, I just got to ask, because I'm always curious, what, what was your like size? Like, how big were you? How much were you weighing? Like, at that point when you were in the that summer, I was, uh, yeah, I was I was six two. I'm six two. Uh, I was like two hundred forty five pounds. Oh wow! They, like these aren't little people. Like these are big boys in these small rooms. Yeah, yeah, no, he's yeah, and he was he's over three hundred pounds, or he was over three hundred pounds at that point. And um, yeah, we were yeah we were strong, man. We we're strong too. So we were lifting some big weights, and we was going hard, man, every day. And our partying was uh you know like taking our vitamins at night and. and he, <laughs> eating chicken man just like chicken nothing on it like no spice or anything just george foreman it and uh just taking down just taking it down man it was rough yeah but i mean that was probably some of the best memories because it it was so intense so difficult but then you make it through absolutely man exactly (laughs) become boys for life man and what was that feeling like when it was like so how does it work you make the team and then there's no more you're good for the whole season Hell no. <laughs> so you make the team and you make the team every week pretty much because, um, you know, there's nothing guaranteed. So if you're on the roster on a Wednesday, you're getting paid. If you're not on the roster, you know, you're gone, man. And you might never be back. You might, ne- might never play a game again. So uh, it was intense, man. It's super stressful for a guy that's in a situation like that. And every play could be your last play. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're fighting. You're fighting every week to, to still be on that roster. And it's not even necessarily – fighting against a, a guy at your position. It, it could be something where, uh, you know, five linemen go down that week and, and they need more linemen. And, and you know, they're not just going to cut their starters so um, or put them on injury reserve if they don't need to be, so they have to bring in new guys. So you're not just fighting against, say, another fullback on the roster, which they didn't carry any other fullbacks. So that was only one. But, you know, you're, you're fighting against other positions too just because it's a numbers game. And if they need a guy there, they're going to cut the, the least important guy on the team at that point. So... Uh, every week's struggle, man. And you're also just fighting against other guys in the league too. You don't realize it, but at any moment, if you're not playing well, they can go snag a guy off someone else's practice squad and replace you with them very easily. Uh, they can snag a guy who just got released. Um, and they might because maybe he's, you know, four or five years in and another team cut him because the salary's too high. But, you know, they think he's a better player than you and they think he's going to help you them win. So they'll just come in and, and snag them and then you're gone the next day. So, uh, at any moment for any reason, uh, you could be, you could be, you know, on the streets, man. So what yeah. I have to ask that, first of all, that's incredible that you made it through. What is your mental like at this moment? Cause that is unbelievably high pressure. Uh, man. So I, uh, I didn't sleep, um, much. So I, in another reason for that is if you come, uh, you come a minute late, it's a, it's a thousand dollar fine. If you come late to practice. So, uh, that was that was tough to sleep through an alarm when you had that on your back, but also you you'd probably be cut at that point as well if you're a you know a bubble player. So um, yeah, but I, I had every time I went to the dentist, he's like, man, you got to wear you got to wear a mouth guard at night because I would just grind my teeth and grind my teeth and grind my teeth, and um, that all stopped once I stopped playing in the NFL. But it was just so stressful that you know, I just clinched my jaw all night. I guess when I when I when I slept and let's let's lead to that so what was that decision to leave the nfl uh, what happened there and then we'll dive into your next phase of life yeah just injuries 
uh, okay. you know, something that um, I, I chose to do. Um, I got I took an injury settlement my fourth year with the Chargers. I had a high ankle sprain. Ronnie Brown fell on my ankle in um, in practice the week two of uh, preseason. And uh, once you're once you're hurt, man, you're damaged goods. Um, it was an injury that took me out for three months. I tried to come back after that. I ran a 40 yard dash in Miami and I ruptured my hamstring. So um, oh, yeah. That, yeah, it was, it was have surgery, reattach it or let it scar down and um, kind of just live life as a, a normal human being that doesn't need to, uh, you know, run all day and, and be super explosive. So um, I decided not to have surgery. And at that point I, I moved on. And what, what was that transition like for you slash that decision? I mean, I understand that it was kind of forced because of the injury. And how old were you at that time? So I was 26 at that time. Um, for most guys, it's a struggle, man. Uh, you know, it's your identity. It's all you know. You don't really have anything else going on. But got super lucky that uh, my wife in year three, after three teams in three years, uh, she was like, there's no way I'm, I'm applying for more jobs. So I'm going to find a way to work from home. Uh, so at that point, she started doing this little personalization shop, and um, it took off. So I started helping her when after my third year, because I my contract ended, I hadn't signed with the Chargers yet, and realized that there was something there. Um, her stuff was selling so fast, she couldn't keep it in stock. Uh, There's no one else really doing what she was doing, and um, really looked into it. We started investing some of my NFL money into commercial grade laser engravers, and um, you know, it started taking off. So I'd signed with the Chargers, and got hurt in camp and, you know, I went right back and as I was rehabbing, I was just working with her shop and it just started growing and growing and growing and growing. And, um, you know, I went right into that for five years and man, I was making more money doing that than playing in the NFL. So, um, what, and what was that business that she was doing? Uh, it was called, it's called everything decorated, um, just personalized gifts, wedding industry, holidays, um, really any event, anniversaries, birthdays, anything you could think of, but, um, to personalize them, um, either laser engrave them or, or vinyl. And, and how'd uh, she get involved with that? She just, she's an entrepreneur or like, she just didn't want to apply for another job, man. Um, so it found a way to work from home. And um, at that time, and, and what really grew it was that you know, to personalize a gift, especially online was a, a two to three week turnaround time. And, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you could go to the store, um, a store like things remembered, but you're paying a ton of money um, online. It was just, very slow turnaround time. So, uh, you know, she always offered everything and, and got everything out within five days at first. And then as it grew, we really tried to get that number down to almost the same day for the most part. And, uh, once we started turning them so quick, people were so amazed with it that it just organically grew because everyone was talking about us and every time they forgot to order something or they needed something last minute they came to us. So, um, just zero spend, zero marketing spend, just, uh, yeah. organic, just kept growing and growing and growing. That's an awesome story. So yeah, you, so, so you, yeah so keep going. Still grows today. Um, we still have it still growing. Um, and that's what I did for five years and, until I thought of the idea for Ice Shaker, um, which was more of my passion. And what's going on with Ice Shaker? Uh, it's a beast, man. It's a beast for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's been good. We're going into, um, I guess it's year four since Aaron on Shark Tank. And um, – it's yeah, just, and run us run us through that really quick. What was because I know you had the business prior to that, and then you go on Shark Tank, and how just how was that experience to pitch and go through all of that? Were you lo- you were looking for money originally, obviously, or it was more of the mentors of A Rod and Cuban? 
Yeah. So uh, let's see, we're six months in and um, we're at, when we got on, we had about 80,000 in sales and it was a side hustle for sure. You know, it was my passion. I was still working for my wife's company and um, you know, I was just doing it on the side whenever I could. Uh, we do like you know, trade shows and uh, sell, sold on Amazon mostly at that point and uh, got on and it just uh, got offers from all five sharks and exploded, man. So over the next 12 months, we did 3 million in sales and I uh, had to move it out of my house into a warehouse and became the real deal overnight. So um, it's grown ever since then. Um, you know, we did a one year update and that helped out a lot as well. And it's just every year has continued to grow and we just keep moving into bigger warehouses, man. So it's been good. Um, you know, COVID was a little scary for us at first, but we kind of became a necessity now that everyone needs a water bottle for work, for school, for, yeah. And don't work anymore. Uh, can't use a Gatorade jug. So it's, 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 it's kind of, um, it's kind of helped the business a little bit. And what makes your water bottle unique? Like, what are you guys exactly doing? So with ice took, yeah, I took a shaker bottle, um, you know, your traditional yeah bottle that's been around for 20 years and then just made it better. You know, I, I tried to fix everything I hated about it. You know, a lot of them would leak, they break, they smell awful, um, and they won't keep them cold. So uh, I, I made a kitchen grade insulated stainless steel bottle. Uh, I put the classic pop top on it, um, you know, put a nice sturdy handle on it, measurement markings inside of it. And then, uh, you know, most of them had the ball at the time. And if you put a metal ball inside of a metal cup, it's like the most annoying sound you ever hear in your life. So um, have a, a patented twist and agitator that will break up the powders, but also works as a strainer. Cause once you put a bunch of ice in the insulated cup, it just flows to the top and it clogs the spot. So you can't really get good water flow. So this actually works as a strainer, um, works really good to pour shots too, but you always get good water flow, man. And uh, a lot of people put like fruit in it, fruit infuser drinks, stuff like that as well. So uh, it's definitely a game changer for us and it's silent when you shake it. Wow. You've thought about everything in this regard, man. So that- I mean, it was really a product I made for myself. So, um, I just wanted one bottle to use all day, every day, you know, Yeah. I would come home, like I'd bring one to work, come home, I grab my shaker bottle, come home, throw that in the sink, grab a couple cups. And man, it's like at the end of the day, I had five cups in the sink. I'm like, I just want to use one cup all day, every day, uh, bring it to work, bring it to the gym, bring it on the airplane, sit on the couch with it, sit by the pool. I just want one cup, man. And yeah, yeah that was kind of the idea. Simple, easy. I like it. And, when you were on, uh, when you were doing the pitch for Shark Tank, were you, were you nervous? Uh, what was that like? Did you think it, anything would come of it, or you guys? What happened? Yeah, man. So I, I was prepared for sure. I, I went back and I wrote down every question that had ever been asked in the last eight seasons. So that was season nine. So you know, there was a yeah. lot to prepare with. And if it was season one, it would have been a different story. But um, I've memorized every answer. I, I was waiting for. You know, Mr. Wonderful to ask, you know, what separates me from his Mr. Wonderful shaker. And, uh, you know, that question never came. I was waiting for it, though. Yeah. Uh, but I was so prepared that, you know, when you're that prepared, you're really not that nervous. You know, you get the initial butterflies because, you know, it, it is what it is. I think everyone does. But uh, once you start talking, you get flowing. It was good to go. And um, when you have your four brothers storm out of the back room and give you a flying chest bump. It also helps a lot, too. Absolutely. And, so now you're working with, now you have the investors. How is working with Cuban and A-Rod? Yeah, man, it's, it's been, uh, it's been good. So what they do is, um, or what they don't do is they don't take over your company, man. Like they're not coming in and like just running, running yeah. or like changing anything, man. It's still you, you know, it's all you, you day one. And, 
Uh, I think people think like, you, know, you get this big investment, you go chill. But really, you, you get this big investment, man. And you, like the workload, you know, just like the sales, you know, our sales 20x overnight. So did the work, man. And yeah. I was the one responsible for all of it. Uh, the Sharks are going to come in and just just do your work for you. So um, with that, they what they do is, um, you know, they're, they're amazing advisors is what it comes down to. Yeah. You can help. Uh, you ask them. They've seen a million, you know, what hundreds of other companies in the same situation that we're in, and they've seen them, you know, either succeed or fail. So um, they're there as a resource to tell you how they how they succeeded, what they did, what they think we should do, and we can we can lean on them. And if they don't have the answer, the really cool part is that you know there's another 80 companies underneath them, and there's a bunch of CEOs that are, are willing to help you out because you know you're in the same portfolio as them. You're kind of friends now, and um, they've been in your situation. They've been, they came before you and, and, you know, I, just like me, man, I, I love helping out other people as well when they're stuck in a spot and, um, and that's what they do. And that's what we do for each other. So, you know, there's Facebook groups that we could ask questions in. Um, we could reach out directly to the CEOs of the other companies. And it, it's just a huge resource for someone that is super early on in the game and just doesn't have the answers. So I think that's one of the biggest things that came out of it was just the, the networking abilities to, get an unbiased opinion on pretty much anything at any time from people that have done it before you. Yeah, that that's amazing. I didn't even consider the fact that, Hey, once we have them as investors, I knew they knew everybody, but I didn't realize the fact that, Hey, they, they're investing in other things. You get access to those other people. That's, it's a win, win, win for everyone. Yeah. That's, it's been a huge resource for sure. Definitely a win, win. Um, well, I don't, and where's ice shaker going in the future? Where do we see ice shaker going? Yeah, man, we're, we're, we're just, man, we're still young. It's funny because I feel like we reached everyone, right? Like we've been on shark tank. We've been on good morning America multiple times. Like, you know, we're in the locker rooms everywhere, but at the end of the day, man, we're not even close to saturating the market. Uh, there's so much more out there and we have a winning product. So for us, it's really about just getting it to more people right now. You know, we've, we've continued to bring in new colors, new sizes, and, and really expanded fast. But then we realized, like, man, we, why don't we just focus on our core? So we're really trying to, to saturate the market more with our weight. Yeah. And then from there, we, we have plans for other stuff. I mean, we do have a half-gallon, a full-gallon jug coming. Um, we have a couple other products and accessories coming as well. Uh, there's definitely plays down the line for bigger things, but... Uh, right now, it's more about man. Let's just let's just get it in people's hands. I mean, I could walk down the street and find a gym that's never heard of us still. And yeah, absolutely. As shocking as it is, it's true, which is actually a good thing when you think about it because there's so much more opportunity out there. And so at first, I used to get mad about it. I used to be like, man, you're a mile down the street, you never heard of us. And uh, then I realized like that's that's huge because I thought I already found everyone and I thought everyone knew about us. And apparently, not that's not the case. So we still have a lot of work to do with just our core products and then we can move from there. Chris, I absolutely love your mindset of constantly learning, constantly taking on new challenges, expanding. I, I love it. Um, I know you're super hungry after the workout. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to hold you too much longer with the podcast, but um, is there any last thoughts you want to leave for the audience? Um, and then where can they find you? Break up for a second. Yeah, it came back. I think we're all good. Yeah. So I was saying, what what are any last thoughts you have, and then what do you want? Uh, where can the audience find you? I know you're. I actually do have one more thing. I know you're a little TikTok star. 
Yeah. <laughs> and all over TikTok now. And um, it's funny because that all came from a challenge on my podcast. So, oh, really? Uh, Grocked Up Podcast. We, we had a guest on. His name's Jesus Corona. And he, he was a TikTok superstar, man. So um, a kid who went to college, he dropped out his first semester. And um, he came on my podcast and just said, hey, man, I, I didn't have anything to tell people. He's like, you have a cool story. You have you have stuff that no one knows about. You know, you can really do well on TikTok, but you're not. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I've posted like a hundred times. I have like ten thousand followers. And I've never had a video go over like ten thousand views, right? And he's like, you're just not doing it right. Lead with value. You know, give people stuff that you know they can share and, and really engage with. And so he kind of challenged me and was like, hey, thirty days, post once a day. And so I started to, and, and he's like, and make sure it's good and make sure it's it's stuff that you know people. Yeah thing that they don't really know about maybe some behind the scenes stuff and started doing that man and um i had ten thousand followers over I, I was on tiktok for over a year um before this and within the next 30 days i went from i was at like ten thousand, maybe 12 up to um and reached oh, wow. more people in that 30 day period so uh, i'm glad he challenged me man because uh, it, it was pretty cool to see and it's the real deal man um like i i thought it was fluff like i thought the numbers were fake but there's times where one of my videos went viral and our website goes up 30,000 views, man. So oh, it's, wow. It's a beast. And I know when we aired on Shark Tank, it was kind of the same number, man. Like we went up, we had like 35,000 views from a Shark Tank airing for the first time. So uh, these kind of numbers are, they're no joke. Um, well, that's the craziest, that's the craziest part is that with the TikTok, everyone thinks it's a vanity metric. It, it's not converting. But with you, the products, the products simple. Like it makes sense to people. Everyone drinks water, so why wouldn't you? Hey, you like my story about my family? You want you want to drink some of my water? Like we have the best water bottle out there. Why not check it out? So sure. I mean, it's it's super interesting, yeah, but it's, it's just working it in in an organic way. Um, you know, I let people ask the question and then I talk about it. I, yeah. I don't ever just try to throw it in someone's face, and I try to do it um, as organic as possible, and, and people respond to that. You know, if you just sit there and throw a product in their face, it never works. But if you lead with value and then they ask the question, it's a great opportunity for you to pitch yourself. Absolutely. And you always got to be pitching yourself. Otherwise, no one's going to hear about you. <laughs> yeah. So you got to take your shots when you can, man. And now TikTok's been great. I mean, anyone could be successful on it. It definitely is work. Uh, you know, you have, to, you have to find what works for you as well and what's interesting and different about yourself and, and bring value to people. But there is a way pretty much for anyone to make it work, but you got to grind it out a little bit, man. And, and it took me a year to figure that out. Absolutely. So where can people find you? Yeah. So check me out uh, at TikTok uh, at Chris Gronkowski is all my social. So Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok as well, but check me out. Uh, we have a YouTube channel called the Gronks. Uh, we'll be doing a little bit more of that once the season ends and, and Rob can do a little bit more. And then, um, man podcast uh grokked up so find it everywhere that that your podcast is at as well absolutely and one last thing is there any funny story that you have about your family that maybe not everyone's seen a little man I've, i think i've given away everything now at this point on tiktok man uh, well what's a crowd favorite then crowd i just had man people love the uh the family feud ones are pretty good but they were really liking the family guy episode lately, which is pretty funny. But I, I dropped one college story of just um, about our party in college. So 
older brother Gordy came down and, and lived with us when he was in the minor leagues. And he was supposed to be like, uh, you know, kind of overseeing us, making sure that we were staying in line and like, you know, really training hard. Right. And he comes down and like just becomes a party. Yeah, he's, he's throwing down. He has some money. So like, you know, if you have a little bit of money in college, you're like, you're the boss, man. Yeah. Week is like big time. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, it ended up, our training ended up being like keg stands and uh, keg stand pushups and, and stuff like that. But the one night we were doing a bunch of keg stands and uh, just so much beer was spilled on the floor that we tried to clean it up. So, you know, we grabbed just soap and we were just dumping on the ground. And um, the next thing you know, we're just slipping, sliding through the kitchen, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so that started with just like, you know, maybe like a six foot slide. And, um, you know, then you had to one up it. So. And we had to go back further. And then we started sliding from the front door out the back door, jumping in the hot tub and uh, <laughs> started doing like human bowling. Like people were lining up and we were just running full speed, trying to like knock everyone over. And Gordy ended up having a thong on with like handcuffs on it. And like, we're like, where, where did this come from, man? And uh, it all ended because I, I went through the wall. Like I tried to get like extra speed, right? And the floor was so slippery. So I went on the carpet and I tried to kind of like angle it. and It didn't work. So I just ran full speed and, try to cut the corner it didn't and I went through the wall and man you know walls are expensive when you're in college so uh, oh absolutely yeah yeah like I was like all right man I can't afford any more damage so uh we stopped slipping sliding and, and it ended that night so I never <laughs> never slip and sli- slide through the house again the kids will not be learning about slip and slides anytime soon <laughs> I, I hope not man but I'm sure they'll figure it out <laughs> Awesome. Chris, you are an awesome guy. I'm so glad to have you here and I really appreciate the value you brought to this group. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.